Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 2 for 1 Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. I'm here today with Mike Renner to look at the college football playoff, look ahead to the college football playoff, also reacting to the Jets-Jaguars draft situation, the Jets debacle and upsetting the Los Angeles Rams on the road as 17-point dogs. And then, of course, we're going to look at PFF's All-American team for the 2020 college football season. A ton of great names on that. And then finish with our Rolling Rooks and Raise the Glass segments, looking at the top-performing rookies and prospects on the week. Let's Let's get it. Mike Renner fully recovered from what was an abysmal showing by both your Notre Dame Irish and yourself celebrating what was a Clemson dub. You did not have an easy Saturday. Let's just call it what it is. It was not an easy Saturday for Mike Renner. I was going to say, I'm not, you said I'm fully recovered. I don't think so. I don't, I don't, (laughs) that one's going to take a little bit for me to actually get back to a hundred percent from, but it did help the next day. When Notre Dame still made the college football playoff, I will say that 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 got me into the low ninety percentages, but we're still working our way back up to hundred because I was in a dark place Sunday mm-hmm. morning. Yeah, I was. You're in a dark place out, at night, and it's Saturday night. But I went out and I walked like nine holes by myself on the golf course. It was like thirty eight degrees. There was not a single other person on the golf course, just kind of to get clear the mind. But yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm feeling close to hundred, but not quite all the way back. We went to a local Cincinnati restaurant to watch the games. We were there from like twelve to. When they closed, it yeah. was we were watching every single game there, and uh, it was tough to see. I think that was the most drunk I've seen you, and you have the tolerance of like a six foot ten Steve Palazzolo figure, and you were going through it that night. You were going through that night. Some highlights. I'd, I'd taken a while off, you know, mm-hmm. after getting a girlfriend. I'd been drinking quite like I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, you turned it on, but yeah, I mean, it was a big day for me when Notre Dame plays Clemson. That's a big day for me. Uh, I, the last time they played, a very similar thing happened. Not this season, but in the playoff years ago. A very similar thing ended up happening to me. So, yeah. Uh, what highlights, though? Go ahead. Let me, let me set the stage for the listeners. In a Cincinnati restaurant, every, everyone and their mother is either rooting for Notre Dame yeah, it's on or the UC University campus. of Cincinnati. It's on UC's campus. Shout out Max Pete's Pub. Shout out credit. Max Pete's Pub, which was absolutely fantastic, by the way. The, the, the atmosphere was like the Super Bowl for the University of Cincinnati. And everyone there also, because I think of proximity, a lot of Notre Dame fans there. There was no Clemson fans except for me rocking a Clemson Deshaun Watson jersey, absolutely running it. You know, Notre anymore. Dame starts out a little hot. Clemson starts slow. That tipped pass by Trevor Lawrence, the interception, but we roll and we roll. The you smelling salts are out. We. We, we, we did we, bring we, smelling salts. That <laughs> we did bring smelling salts. We were rocking smelling salts. We were getting through it. Best part of the night, though, for me was this Notre Dame family comes in, a trio, mom, dad, and the kid who's probably like 12. He's rocking the Notre Dame gear, stoked to be at Max Pizza Bar. And every single first down, I'm staring him in the eyes and just clapping my ass off. Your, your <laughs> highlight of your night was trolling some eight-year-olds. It was. It honestly was. I was drunk yeah. enough for that to be my highlight of my night, okay? And sorry. I was ripping a smelling salt and just pointing at him, just like, let's go, baby. Let's go. When we're up like 20. Clemson's up like 20. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. Good stuff there. I wish you could have been there the entire night. But um, the other part of it, too, the other highlight is that Dude, every single like first down Cincinnati made, the entire restaurant's just like, oh, 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 oh. It's like freaking insane, dude. They, they were 14 and a half point favorites, and they ended up having a sweat out, a last second field goal to win that game. But there wasn't a single positive play that wasn't met with an uproar at Max Pizza Pub this weekend. And uh, offer, I mean, seemingly not, obviously, the undefeated season is great for UC, great for recruiting, all that. But 
the final college football playoff rankings were just a fucking atrocity. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. Just where they ended up, just awful. I mean, they ended up finishing behind Florida and Oklahoma. Yeah, three lost Florida team. Like, it's multiple teams that, like, lost to group of five schools. Just absurd. Like like we said on the previous podcast, why even play the games? What's the point of playing the games if it isn't reflected in the college football playoff rankings? That's where we'll leave that. But let's look ahead at the teams that are in it. Matchup's going to be Alabama, Notre Dame. The spread opened up at minus 19.5, mind you. Minus 19.5 in favor of the Crimson Tide. And then the other game will be between potentially the two number one over, or the number one and number two overall pick in Trevor Lawrence of Clemson and Justin Fields of Ohio State. That line, I think, opened up at 7 or 7.5 in favor of Clemson. Start with the Alabama-Notre Dame, Notre Dame game for, you, for me. Do you think that spread's too heavy? No. Is it disrespectful uh, to use a word you've used before? No, because I do think where Alabama is beatable is their defense isn't great. Like, I don't think there's just, there's just no stopping that offense. Mm-hmm. You're not going to shut down with how good that offensive line is, with how many weapons they have in Devontae Smith and Najee Harris, and with how just efficient Mac Jones is in operating that offense. He's basically like this year's Joe Burrow, and just that he's completely mastered that offense. You're just not going to stop him. You're going to have to go blow for blow with them, kind of like what Florida did or came close to doing this past weekend. You're going to have to lay up the scoreboard. That's not Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame is built to grind away uh, you know, a 20, 24 to 17 game. Mm-hmm. That's what this team is right now. So, yeah, a 17-point line. I can see that because as good as is it nineteen and a half guys? Excuse me, as Notre, as good as Notre Dame's defense is, just no one's stopping this Alabama offense this year. Yeah, I would if I had to pick a side there, I'm definitely take, taking Alabama minus nineteen and a half, and even with Clemson Ohio State, I'm taking Clemson minus seven, even minus seven and a half, because I do think Trevor Lawrence and Clemson are the better football team in that game. Ohio State looked awful against Northwestern. Justin Fields held on to the football, made the mistakes that we saw from him in 2019. A, a big concern. We were talking about his draft yeah. stock live, two or three white claws in, starting to get a little concerned. I think that game for Justin Fields was not good. We need to see him bounce back against Clemson. But even if he does, I just think the fireworks show that is on Clemson's side of the ball, they end up winning that game by 7+. plus. Yeah, when you don't have Chris Olave running wide open down the football field, all of a sudden Justin Fields kind of looks human. And I do think he has not improved his draft stock this year. Like, Usually, like a lot of guys would talk about in this quarterback class, the Kyle Trask, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson's all just shooting their draft stock through the roof. Justin Fields has done himself no favors and doesn't look like there's just no next step he's taken from last year's from what he put on tape last year. Unfortunate stuff. I, I, I like I said, I would take Clemson minus seven, minus seven and a half. I'd also take Bama minus 19 and a half. But I think the play is a teaser. Tease them down both six, get Alabama at minus 13 and a half, and then get Clemson at minus one if you can. I think that's where I'd really like the parlay, or not the parlay, the teaser, our college football playoff. While the lines are still relatively low, not fat yet, I think they're not going to be too efficient until we get closer to game day. But that's where we're at on the college football playoff. Let's talk Jets-Jags. The New York Jets, I've said this on multiple radio shows. I've said this on this podcast. The worst thing the Jets can do before Sunday was win a football game. And they go in to SoFi Stadium and beat the Los Angeles Rams. I'm going to start with the Rams because people want to overreact to this. Are they not as good as we thought they were? I think you point fingers of blame at the coaching staff for not preparing them for a letdown game. I'm not, I have the same opinions of the Rams defense and Jared Goff as I did before. Jared Goff is a liability and the defense is good, but defense is volatile. And you saw that against the New York Jets. The bigger situation here is the New York Jets are no longer the favorites to get the number one overall pick and the, you know, photoshops of Trevor Lawrence in a Jets jersey are largely dead right now. It, it, it's that bad for New York. 
not getting Trevor Lawrence. How bad of a situation is that? I, I cannot believe. Like I, even as it was kind of like looking like it was going to happen, everyone's still saying, "Oh, you know how how the Jets end up blowing this? Like up by fourteen in the third quarter. Oh, how does this end poorly for the Jets?" And then they convert that first down, throw to a thirty-nine-year-old, thirty-seven-year-old Frank Gore over the middle, and it's like, "Oh shit." They actually just did it. They screwed up enough. I mean, screwed up enough. They won. They played well enough to actually win a football game. And it gets a good team at the Rams. Like, that is yes. one of the better teams in the NFL. A lot of people were picking them to go through the NFC at this point because they have probably the best defense in the NFC. And all of a sudden, take them out. They still could get that number one pick, even with the Jags losing out, if things were to happen for strength of schedule to sway back in the Jets' favor or for it to get even. And then they have the coin flip. But man, a decade's worth of prosperity. And that's not to say that Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, whoever they do take, Trey Lance, I don't know who the Jets are going to fall in love with at the quarterback position, isn't going to be enough to win a Super Bowl in the future. It isn't going to be a franchise quarterback. I'm saying Trevor Lawrence is close to a show of things we've seen, and there's a big gap quality-wise between him, and just in terms of certainty between him and everyone else in this draft, to where... And Mekhi Becton saying, you're not a real Jets fan if you wanted us to lose. It's like, buddy, we wanted you to win the first 13. After, at that point, when you <laughs> lost the first 13, you can, you, can, you can put it on us to start rooting for losses at that point because it's so impactful to your future. And it's, you know, it's not just like to the bottom line of the team, like to so many different things, it would have improved that if you're a Jets fan right now, I, I feel for you. So there are some analysts that say now that the Jets say the Jets do end up picking number two overall, that the decision isn't as easy to pick a quarterback at the top of the 2021 NFL draft, that maybe you do trade down and add some picks to build around Sam Darnold, give him another opportunity to be the signal caller there in the Big Apple. I am of the opinion of absolutely not. Sam Darnold has not shown enough for you to trade down and invest more draft capital and surrounding talent and try and give him another chance. Because here's the reason. Sam Darnold has a really big leap next year, and the Jets go 7-9. and nine. And then you're on the books for potentially paying Sam Darnold because he's taken this quote-unquote big leap and taken the Jets forward, but still not playoff contention. Even Trevor Lawrence doesn't take the Jets to the playoffs next year, let alone Sam Darnold unrealistically improving significant degrees. That is a worse-ish problem, having to pay Sam Darnold after this big leap because you're confident now, than having a rookie who will be on a rookie contract and you're not paying heavy amounts. I think it's obvious. The New York Jets take the best quarterback available at number two overall and ship Sam Darnold off or keep him as a backup. That is the obvious answer to me. I don't know if you're on my side. Yeah, it's that to me, I I 100% agree. There's there's probably fewer than 10 quarterbacks in the NFL that if I had and I ended up picking two overall – that I would pass on this quarterback class exactly. entirely. That I would not say that Zach Wilson or Justin Fields could theoretically be an upgrade on in a year or two's time after they come into the NFL. Like that's one, how good these two guys are as prospects, and two, just how important having a rookie, having a quarterback on his rookie contract is, who's playing well. Like that improves your chances of going to like that just impacts your team so so much in terms of consistently being able to make the playoffs, being able to allocate those resources elsewhere to where, yes, if I'm the Jets, no chance in hell. And that doesn't mean trade Sam Darnold, that you have to do that. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean you have to give up on him. That just means 
I'm going to take as many swings at the most important position on the NFL field as I humanly can. And I honestly wouldn't trade Dar- Sam Darnold. You're trading Sam Darnold at the end of the season at the bottom of the market. Yes. And I you're getting either. very little in return. You're better off keeping him as a backup. And if you do have this you know, theory that he'll improve significantly, maybe you give him that opportunity to go toe-to-toe with the quarterback pick. Swing the bat at the quarterback position. Like you said, you have to continue to invest in that position until you find the guy, not a guy. Because a guy... Get you to purgatory. Put you in the situation the Falcons are in, the Detroit Lions are in. I'd even argue the Rams are in with Jared Goff. They have to have so much of a supporting cast, including the coaching staff, to even be relevant in the NFC. Without Sean McVay, without that defense, Jared Goff is not a playoff quarterback. And you do not want to put yourself in that situation from a roster-building perspective, in my opinion. I don't even think the range of outcomes for Sam Darnold is even close to what some of those other quarterbacks can be based off what we've already seen. All right. Let's go ahead and jump now into the college. I got got one thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. So a few weeks back, you, it was over Thanksgiving, you roasted uh, me for my sweatshirt game after, uh, after, uh, what was I, wearing a tie-dye sweatshirt, and you sent a picture saying, yeah, Thanksgiving. We talked about it on the pod, whatever. But then you uh, apparently handed my girlfriend, enlisted your help to get me a Christmas present. And so she, I enlisted her help to get you Oh no! This is actually from her to you. It's another. (laughs) This This is is fantastic. A similarly obnoxious hoodie for you. This is incredible. I'm wearing this on the next podcast. Hold that. Yeah, put that on. Hold that up, dude. I'm. This is wow. Hannah Bortz, just incredible. Incredible effort. I might wear this freaking for the rest of my life. And her handwriting is absolutely impeccable. I know. Actually, that is. I couldn't miss out on a good opportunity to give you an obnoxious sweatshirt. Merry Christmas. P.S. My mom is interested. Wow. Even offering her mom up. I'll take that. That's very that's very nice. Uh, wow. Shout out to Hannah Bortz. You'd love to see that. Um, thanks for the pivot, man. Before we jump into the college football rankings here, you know what? Let's, let's use this as an opportunity to take a quick break, and we'll get back to the college football American team. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth are teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcast. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week, and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field, too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a deep dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that's happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. MooseFit is a premium online workout program and remote coaching service that provides you with daily workouts based on your goals, the time you have available, and the equipment you have at your disposal. Purchase your MooseFit membership and a MooseFit coach will reach out to you with a questionnaire based on the information provided. In the questionnaire, your MooseFit coach will either assign a pre-made program to you or will create a custom program for you. No two programs are the same. MooseFit is well-equipped to help provide you with daily workouts to help you reach your health and fitness goals. For PFF listeners, use the code PFF50 and receive 50% off your first month at MooseFit. For more information, check them out on Instagram at MooseFit or on their website, www.moosefit.co, not com.co. PFF and Action Pro are teaming up. Subscribe to PFF's Elite Annual Subscription using promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite Subscription access and... One year, 365 days of Action Pro subscription access for just $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription offering tailor-made to make avid and new bettors better. This is a limited-time offer that is currently only made available now through the Super Bowl. This offer only applies to first-time elite annual subscribers. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. 
backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. For those who don't know, Anthony Trash, uh, a senior quarterback analyst here at PFF, not quarterback, college, college. football analyst. <laughs> he knows quarterbacks too, but a senior college football analyst here at PFF, a guy that works as hard as anyone in the company, if not harder than anyone in the company, has had a really, definitely really strong... Hard, definitely harder than you. Absolutely harder than you. You could probably drink him out of the table, though. I, he's one of the bigger lightweights in the company. Let's just call it what it is. I, say, I think he already has. All things true. Yeah. <laughs> Take it back to the LSU-Bama game from last year when COVID wasn't a thing. Oh, buddy, that guy puts down six Natty Seltzers and he's under the table. But uh, back to his work ethic, an absolute star and has been fantastic for PFF all season long. I encourage you to follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Anthony. Put together PFF's college football All-American team for the 2020 season. We're going to go through each position, talk about some of the highlights there before we get into our rolling rooks and raise a glass segments here. Starting at the quarterback position, maybe some uproar here. There's a lot of people that just want to throw Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence at you know number one and number two on the All-American team because of their draft prowess. But Going by PFF grades, the play-by-play grading. Right now, first team, Mac Jones of Alabama, the favorite to win the Heisman right now. Second team is Zach Wilson of BYU. Third team, Kyle Trask of Florida. And the honorable mention is the likely 2022 number one overall pick in Oklahoma's Spencer Rattler. Any concerns with that, or, or what was your opinion of that ranking? Yeah, I, I, I can get on board with one, two, three there. Those guys are playing lights-out football. I would put Trevor Lawrence in as honorable mention over Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler had a couple duds mm-hmm. and some L's. Trevor Lawrence, I mean, he would have done in any game he was in, just to, he would have done enough for them to win. I fully trust that and did enough for them to win every game he started. So uh, that still holds some weight in my book. So I would have gone that route. But like Mac Jones, has, he deserves to be first team. Yeah. That guy is, like I said, he's, it's Joe Burrow-esque in terms of just the way he's handling his business week in and week out for Alabama. So I want to use this as an opportunity to talk about two of these quarterbacks, Mac Jones of Alabama and Kyle Trask of Florida. I don't think we'll really get a good understanding or a firm understanding of where those two guys are going in the 2021 NFL draft like we do feel like we have with Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, and Justin Fields. But the more we start to see, the more we see from both of these guys and the more we talk about them and how well they played in 2020, I'm having a harder and harder time thinking that they're going to slip outside the top 20 picks. Like I just, the the quarterback position is so valuable in today's NFL that if you are confident in Mac Jones and Kyle Trask as prospects, I I think gone are the days that you're getting starting caliber quarterbacks in the draft, you know, outside of the first round. If people do have draft, you know, starting potential grades on these guys, I do think they go earlier than maybe some expect. Yeah. So I, I'm writing an article for ESPN. I wrote an article for ESPN. That's, basically breaking down this quarterback class. And I think I put those two in this bucket of their tools aren't going to be, uh, aren't going to light up the world. Like they don't have a cannons for arms. They're not the most physically impressive. They're not going to add to your running game. Not an athlete. Like he's not, he's not not a moving running game much, but the way they, the way that their decision-making their accuracy down the football field, actually pretty much all levels at this point is well about is, as good as we've seen in recent years at the quarterback position, like it's up there in that upper echelon of, like I said, Joe Burrows, Baker Mayfields, where they're just lighting teams up week in and week out. And performance still matters at the end of the day at some point. Like that was kind of the argument against Joe Burrow last year was that 
you know, physically he's not anything special whatsoever, but quarterback is a performance driven position. He performed better than any quarterback in college football history. So, um, Mac Jones, if you just compare him to like Tua, I'm not sure Tua's a better athlete, probably similar levels of arm strength, but Mac Jones is playing at a level that Tua never did in the same offense with probably lesser talent. Like Tua had great, Tua had, Tua had Devontae Smith, Tua had Jalen Waddle last year, and he also had two other first rounders, you know, <laughs> and he was not playing at the level that we've seen. And Jedrick Wills and so, Alex Leatherwood. Yeah. So I, at that point, I'm not saying he's top five like Tua by any means because Tua was younger. Uh, Tua was doing it at an earlier age, but. It's it's tough to argue against what we've seen already from him to say he's not a first rounder. All right, let's jump to the running back position. Uh, both the UNC guys get first team running back here: Javante Williams of North Carolina and Michael Carter of North Carolina. Javante Williams hasn't declared yet, by the way. And for those who don't know, on two for one drafts, PFF and I, uh, Mike and I always stand for the underclassmen running backs to declare. Your shelf life in the NFL yeah. is low. We were stunned that Travis Etienne returned for his you know season here with Clemson. I think Javante Williams is in a similar boat. After that, I'll go through this quickly. Chris Rodriguez of Kentucky, second team. Khalil Herbert of Virginia Tech, third. And Jarrett Patterson of Buffalo, an honorable mention. And then the other second team is Najee Harris of Alabama, third team. Jerion Ely of Ole Miss. And then honorable mention, the guy who's like five foot six, maybe five foot five of Kansas or uh, Kansas State, Deuce Vaughn, who I think is a true freshman or a true sophomore. Yeah, true freshman. True freshman, honorable mention. Dude was, I, I hate to say it. I heard Sam and Steve say it on their podcast this morning. It made me want to throw up. But Deuce Vaughn's fun to watch. <laughs> I, regardless of what you think of him as a prospect, the dude's like legitimately Tariq Cohen size. Yeah. But absolutely fun to watch when you see that small of a player on the football field making plays like Deuce Vaughn has this year. I agree. I got my gripes here. Najee Harris, first team over Michael Carter. Volume, it, it's difficult to true. do over that there's the volume difference. PFF always skews efficiency over volume in the running back position and maybe could lend to get more volume-based. And Travis Etienne needs to be on this list. I know he's not rushing the football as efficiently as years past. He has the most receiving yards of any running back in college football. Do those not matter? Tresh, have you watched him? <laughs> he's fucking electric. All right. Uh, he did have that dud against up Notre for, Dame. I'm standing up for Clemson. He did have that for dud for, against Notre Dame in the Wengalele game, though. That was, one was of the, a dud. That was a throw-the-tape-out kind yeah. of game. But um, either way, jumping to the wide receiver position, uh, Devontae Smith, to no one's surprise, has absolutely lit the college football, all of the United States on fire this year, uh, been in outstanding is on pace to potentially break the PFF record for PFF receiving grade in a single season. I think Amari Cooper has that record at 92.9 in 2014. He's at 94.3. Right now. Absolutely absurd for Devontae Smith. Uh, and then the other first team receiver is Elijah Moore, the slot type uh, slot receiver for Ole Miss, who has had absurd production all season long there with Matt Corral. Uh, second team, Jakari Robert. Jalen Darden is three first team wide receivers, buddy. Oh, I didn't even see the third. I'm sorry. Third first team wide receiver is Jalen Darden of North Texas. He's, he's, he's electric. He is, he is electric. He, he, I mean, he's the best player on the football field every time North Texas takes the field. It's been, yeah. he's, he, he's must watch tape. Second team is Jakari Robertson of Wake Forest, Dax Milline of BYU, and Kadarius Tony of Florida. Third team, Tylen Wallace, Oklahoma State, Marvin Mims, Oklahoma. Marlon Williams, UCF, and then the honorable mentions are Traylon Burks of Arkansas, Khalil Shakir of Boise State, and then Jonathan Adams Jr. of Arkansas State. Kadarius Tony, second team. Man, I, he doesn't I, deserve to be first team because those that first team has been, like I said, lights out this season. Those are the three most productive game in game out receivers in college football. But Kadarius Tony, 
He's probably my favorite after the th- three first I, Yeah, if like I want anyone getting the ball in their hands in college football, it is him. All right, tight end position. First team is Kyle Pitts, and honestly, it wasn't even close. Yes. If you're if you're considering another tight end this year, I would be kind of floored. Kyle Pitts has been more than just a tight end. I mean, he's you watched his pre- previous week. I don't know if he's made it to our raise a glass segment for prospects, but he was absolutely absurd again for Alabama, one of the highest graded players in the country this past weekend, and doing it from inline, doing it from the slot, outside contested catch situations. I, I can't get enough of this guy. I, I, I still really, really like that pairing. With the Baltimore Ravens, like depending on where they're drafting, adding that piece to that offense to pair with Mark cool. Andrews, I, I think it would be a lot of fun. Uh, second team is Isaiah Likely of Coast, Coastal Carolina. What Josh, a last name. That is a fantastic last name. Josh Wiley of Cincinnati, who I know a lot of people here in Cincinnati are big on having another good year the, uh, in 2021. But depending on, apparently there's some rumors that Desmond Ritter might come back, but he is married. Expecting a kid, I think that plays a factor in him maybe trying to make the financial decision to the, to enter the NFL. And the honorable mention, Trey McBride of Colorado State. Let's take a pause here and talk about Kyle Pitts. Yeah. I, I love talking about positional value when it comes to the draft. I think few analysts do as much as we do. But positional value at the tight end position is not one that I'm always sprinting my card in in the first round. You have to be a generational tight end prospect to feel that confident in bringing one in. I am of the opinion that Kyle Pitts does more than what the standard tight end does so much that I think he's a first round player. Well, see, my thought on the tight ends and when you draft them is if they are such to where they're good enough to where you draft them in the first round as also a wide receiver, then you could draft them in the first round. Yep. And I think that's Kyle Pitts. It's like Travis Kelsey in Kansas City. Travis Kelsey is productive when he is just lined up as an outside wide receiver and not an inline tight end. He can produce like that. Darren Waller can do the same. George Kittle can do the same. Those three guys, they don't have to have misma- have to have to be matched up with linebackers to win and be productive in your offense. They can do a lot of different things. Guys like Kyle Rudolph are not that. Guys like uh, gosh, uh, T.J. Hawkinson never did that. Is not a guy who's he's not athletic enough. He doesn't have that suddenness to be able to win from the outside. So I'm never taking that guy in the first round. Then mm-hmm. Cal Pitts, on the other hand, has that has a ridiculous catch radius. He has all the traits you would want to be a positionless tight end and line up anywhere and win, and is beating college cornerbacks routinely, which you just don't see from college tight ends almost ever. So at that point, I will draft Kyle Pitts in the first round. Not any of these other tight ends. I would be willing to draft Kyle Pitts, though, in the first round. I also think that it's a it's it's a significant advantage to have a tight end of Kyle Pitts' caliber on offense because – there's only three or four offenses in the NFL that can even claim that feat. Like you, there are very few offenses that have a game changing game breaking tight end starting every single week. It's the chiefs, it's the 49ers. And I honestly of late, I would put Darren Waller in the conversation. Like he has been outstanding for the Las Vegas Raiders this season. I'm not saying Kyle Pitts is that guy in year one. We can look historically at year one tight end production and Mm -hmm. see how bad it's been. But from a ceiling perspective and from what this guy can do with time in the NFL, I do think Kyle Pitts is, is that good. He can be that good in the NFL. I would have never said that about TJ Hawkinson. I would have never said that about a handful of the tight ends that were drafted earlier in previous years. About Kyle Pitts, I'm saying that. Yeah. And Uh, and the thing is, it's kind of like the Isaiah Simmons-esque argument for offense. It's like, this guy anywhere is is a productive receiver. Uh, You can't say that about a lot of, like, Devontae Smith can't go up in line, in line, and 
and be a productive receiver. Like he's not going to do that. <laughs> you know, Kyle Pitts can. Kyle Pitts yeah. then can go outside and be a productive receiver. So it allows you flexibility as an offense coordinator. All right. Uh, in the interest of brevity, I'm going to read just the first team offensive line. But I do want to read all four of the picks for left tackle because I think it speaks to the depth and the talent yeah. in this tackle class. First team is Brady Christensen at BYU, a guy that has honestly earned single game grades above 90 in almost every single game this year. He has been, argue, you know, rule out positional value, maybe even better than Zach Wilson at his position. That's how good Brady Christensen has been for BYU this year. He's our first team offensive tackle, or left tackle rather. And then second team, Christian Derisaw of Virginia Tech, another guy that could go in the first round. Sam Cosme of Texas, top 40, top 50 player. And then Liam Eikenberg of Notre Dame, an honorable mention but a guy that has graded really, really well in PFF system and another guy that a lot of NFL teams are going to have interest in. I know it might not be as good as last year's offensive tackle class with Mekhi Becton, Jedrick Wills, Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, but I think this is a damn good one, Mike. I agree. I, I think- Alex Lillywood's not even in the conversation. We, we didn't mention him yet. Like That's how good this – I mean, this is a very good tackle class. Yeah, it's deep. I think it's deeper than last year's in terms of like – last year we said you wanted to get one of those top four or five, or and after that – Hey, good luck. This year, I think you might be able to find some starting caliber ones stretching into the second round, more than one, because I I just think there's a lot of names and a lot of talent to go around. Um, the Brady Christensen thing's interesting because he's the competition level is obviously far worse than any of those other first uh, any of those other tackles listed there, and didn't get a Senior Bowl invite. So interested to see where he does end up if he goes to. Uh, like the shrine game or something to see. Cause that, that would be like, that's the kind of guy who needs the senior bowl. Like yeah. he needs to face better competition for you to buy in. So mm-hmm. we'll see. All right. Rest of the first team offensive line here is uh left guard. We have Aaron Banks of Notre Dame. Tyler Lindebaum is the center of Iowa guy. We've talked about with Tristan worse. You've talked about him a handful of times on the podcast, uh, a guy that's really gotten a lot better this year, both from a weight and grading perspective. Right guard is Kane Madden of Marshall. And then at right tackle, another, another tackle in this class that we've talked about a ton is Darian Kennard of Kentucky. Uh, fantastic group there along the offensive line moving to the defensive side of the ball starting with the defensive tackles let's get into the first team here Aline McNeil of NC State a guy that plays right up on the nose like a true nose tackle in college football and then also Haskell Garrett a guy that we I've been really a big huge fan of a big huge how huge big this year thinking that he was a younger player and kind of breaking out for Ohio State guy was a part of the 2017 recruiting class and honestly I think it's just a little bit older than everybody and dominating but both these guys have had really really good yes. years I probably like Ali McNeil over Garrett as a prospect knowing that Garrett's building off or McNeil is building off what was already a very good 2019 season as well yeah and I think it's a weak defensive tackle class there's really not it's a weak defensive line class yeah there might not be a lot to go around no uh gosh the no Davion uh, Nixon in this in any of these first or second teams third teams are honorable mention here which a bit of a surprise the Iowa defense tackle he's getting some first round hype really around uh, the around you know draft circles and whatnot but didn't grade out as well as so that's going to be one to watch going forward if he does end up declaring for the draft Davion Nixon the Iowa defense tackle grade below 80 this year overall didn't grade out nearly as well as kind of the hype surrounding him at this point so interesting all right, let's go ahead and jump to edge defender here. Uh, Nick Benito of Oklahoma has been our highest-graded edge defender for a while now and uh, finishes the season as that. He's the first-team edge defender. And then also Rashad Weaver of Pitt. Some of the 
country's best, you know, edge defenders or, you know, along the defensive line, specifically Greg Russo of Miami, Florida, obviously didn't play this season. But overall, it, it was not a good year for dominant pass rushers off the edge. Benito has had success. Weaver has had success. But after that, uh, second team, Ray, you know, Raymond Johnson of Georgia Southern uh, and then Isaiah Thomas of Oklahoma. I, I was expecting more from, you know, this yeah. edge defending class. but. Following Chase Young, like I wanted Tyreek Smith to be on this list. There's there's a handful of guys that Jason I Shaka Tony, Jason Oway, and it just didn't make the cut. Yeah, I there were a lot of guys. I, I think the one guy who really took a leap, the one like freak athlete who really took a leap. I guess there's probably two guys. Quiddy Pay did, then got hurt. Uh, ended up only playing four games this year. I thought he took a pretty significant leap. Looked like a different player than what we saw him early in his career at Michigan. And the other guy's Jalen Phillips from Miami. Former number one overall recruit, five-star guy, started at UCLA, transferred to Miami. I thought he looked like a much different player this year than he did in years past when he was at UCLA. So I think those two guys took a step forward. Not a lot of other guys did. In a class full of really athletic edge defenders, you're still kind of kind of banking on tools and development at this point at the next level, if if they declare. Now, a lot of guys still could come back uh, in 2021. Moving to linebacker, no surprises. First team linebacker is David Collins of Tulsa. I think he finishes our highest graded linebacker in the country. And then the other first team linebacker is Qaddafi Wright of Buffalo. After that, Jack Sanborn of Wisconsin there on the second team. Same with Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. Uh, third team is John Radigan of Army, Nick Anderson of Tulane. And then the honorable mentions, Edefuan Ulo Fushio of Washington. And Micah McFadden of Indiana. I think I nailed that name, but um, we'll leave it at that. I, I think starting with Zayvon Collins, I want to have the conversation about him as a first-round prospect. Yeah. As much as I think he's been a fantastic college player, I've said before that he should win the Ben Narek Award. I think that's it's an it's similar to Defensive Rookie of the Year. It's a box score, narrative-driven award. I think Zayvon Collins has checks all the boxes to win an award like the Ben Narek Award. However, I'm still not 100% on board with him being a top 32 player in this class. I think Combine's going to be big for him. If he goes to all-star games, that'll be big for him. But I think Zayvon Collins still, because I'm questioning what role he plays in the NFL and how he'll need maybe a specific one, like we've said before, in a Brian Flores, Bill Belichick type of defense, I'm interested to see if other teams do value him as that first-round player. Yeah, and it's I do think there are a number of teams towards the back end of the first round that could be in the market for a linebacker, whether it's, like I said, even Brian Flores, Miami at 21 right now, whether it's the Browns who will be drafted in the 20s, the Packers, the Chiefs, uh, maybe even the Saints. I think there are teams that are going to need linebacker at that point in the draft. And I think, yes, while we've plugged him into that sort of scheme, I, I think he's a little bit more than that and can be he has a versatile body type and is a, it's not limited athletically. Like he, if you want to just drop him in coverage and play him like a Leighton Van Der Esch, Slayton Vandross was a similarly like jumbo throwback type of linebacker. Mm -hmm. I think he can do that as well. So I think only selling him into one sore scheme is selling him a little bit short. I do just think that's those fair. are the schemes that will be really high on him. No, I think that's a good take, actually. I think I like kind of I kind of not not completely as a pro comparison, but I mean Leighton Van Der Esch from a size standpoint is kind of similar in yeah. that throwback linebacker. You just don't see type. a lot of guys that big at the yeah, linebacker. He's anymore. a freaking monster. <laughs> All right. Cornerback position here, uh, Trivius Hodges Tomlinson, uh, TCU, only five foot nine hundred and seventy seven pounds, but has graded really, really well this year. First team cornerback for PFF. TCU knows how to develop DBs. Absolutely. Do they know how to develop defensive players? Like yeah. 
right? They've, they've done a good job there. They've got, they got more than Texas over the past decade. <laughs> Texas. Uh, other first-team cornerback is Patrick Sertan of Alabama, and then second team is Eli Ricks, LSU, Shamar Gene Charles of App State. I know a lot of people like Gene Charles there in App State. Level of competition has kind of kept him off national radars, but he has been a baller for App State this year. Third team, uh, Zach McPherson of Texas Tech, and then Marcus Jones of Houston, and then honorable mentions, Greg Newsom II of Northwestern, who recently declared for the 2021 NFL Draft, and Josh Job of Alabama, who's been with Patrick Sertan, one of the most productive outside cornerbacks in the NFL from a yards per coverage snap allowed, or yards allowed per coverage snap perspective. Uh, this is an impressive group. I really like the Bama kids, though. Sertan and Joe both were really, really good this year. Yeah, they're, so their corners have been good. They've been getting kind of exposed over the middle of the field and their linebackers so this year. So, I mean, there's a reason why Bama's just – no one's been able to touch them at all this year. It's because there's just NFL talent every single – position group it seems like i know you're gonna have some qualms about this group on at safety no t the tcu guys are absent no tcu yeah. guys here at safety but uh keith galman of south alabama is the first team safety also jaquan brisker of penn state i know a lot of people who like brisker though brisker's good i i, I think Back brisker is, is an interesting prospect to look at and then after that talano hufanga of usc at second team and also brandon joseph of northwestern third team braylon trahan of louisiana and damon miller of uab and then honorable mentions are nolan turner of clemson and ben deluca of charlotte no tcu guys are you upset yeah trayvon morgue deserves to be there yeah just say it yeah trayvon morgue should probably be there or darius washington hasn't had a bad season either though. And, yeah or darius washington just didn't have the splash plays that we mm-hmm. saw from last year so five picks last year None this year, but still five pass breakups, only still allowed 175 yards all season long in his coverage on 23 targets. He was still pretty damn stingy. It just was not, you just didn't see nearly as many, uh, I guess, plays in the ball as we did a season ago. Now, Tresh ended up adding a flex D here, some slot corners. Tyreek Smith of West Virginia, Tyke first Smith. team. Ty, Tyke Smith, I apologize. Tyke Smith of West Virginia, and then second team, arguably the best slot cornerback in the class, Elijah Molden of yeah, he Washington. Just played enough games. Yeah. Shakur Brown of Michigan State. And then the honorable mention there for the flex position is Martin Emerson of Mississippi State. Great list to ch- check out that and all of the analysis from Anthony Tresh. Go to PFF.com. It's it's one of the better pieces on the site right now. Doing really, really well. Uh, definitely encourage you guys to check that out. I think my overall takeaways are defensively, I think it, it was interesting. Offensively, it was the usual suspects all year long. Kyle Pitts, highest graded tight end. Mac Jones was a guy we really liked. Obviously, uh, Trevor Lawrence has played well in the games he's played. And Zach Wilson, Kyle Trask. And you continue to see that at different positions. Devontae Smith, you know, all other guys as well. Defensively, a lot of new names popped up. A lot of breakout seasons. And I think a big reason for that is the same reason in the NFL right now we're talking about, you know, rookies not performing well out of the gate and those things. That defense this year with COVID-19 impacting the offseason is so hard it was so difficult to prepare for this upcoming season i think that's why you like think you literally didn't get time to prepare. exactly like, you know <laughs> and i think that's why you see a lot of parody in in year over year grading you didn't see a lot of repeat offenders or usual suspects on the defensive side of both both in the nfl right now mm-hmm. and and uh, um in college football in the college football ranks and, um, and college even more so in the pros home field advantage crowd noise it's massive like that those guys are like 18 year olds you're far more nervous you're far like that that gets under your skin far more than it does probably when you're a pro at the nfl level you do it for a decade yep all right now we jump to our usual suspects the the closers here from a segment's perspective uh let's start with rolling rooks man uh, can we start at five and go up to one do it because i want to bring up this name who i watched again and have been really impressed with what he's doing is justin matt buke mm-hmm. Baltimore, he went against a very bad Jacksonville Jaguars team. I think there are a handful of players that graded really well on the defensive side of the ball for the Ravens, including Patrick Queen, who had one of the better games of his rookie career uh, or rookie season. Justin Matabuke 
kind of showing up late for the Baltimore Ravens. I, he's got some juice. And like you said, he's a little bit of a roller coaster prospect coming out. But when it, when it's high, it's it's a good time. Yeah, and he kind of turned. We mentioned him last week on the Wednesday about how he turned the corner, and I said I wanted to watch him this week against the Jaguars and flashed again. Like, it, I, I do think that I don't want to say he's completely turned a corner, but he looks like he's the game slowed down from. And he was low key, kind of got lost in that class. He was a freak athlete. The guy yeah. ran a four eight three forty. That's like that's one of the kind of guys you want to bet on the defensive tackle position. The guys who really have that get off because it gets you in such a favorable position when you can jump the snap at that to that degree, when you have that sort of get off, I think we've seen it the past two weeks, two pressures again, after four the week four against Cleveland, another two run stops. He was consistently impactful uh, and winning with, you know, a couple bull rushes. Uh, and then he beat Cam Robinson on backside cutoff for attack for loss. Like he, he can, he can beat you in a number of different ways. I think we're seeing development of one of the better young t- defense tackles in the NFL. Bryce Hall at number four this week. Yes. He had one of the best plays of the weekend. The one-hander. That, yeah. That, so it's a play-action boot that he recognizes at the outside corner. And then he kind of he kind of sits perpendicular. I would, I would love to pull up the play if I could on YouTube here. But he kind of sits perpendicular to Jared Goff as he's rolling out and yeah. kind of is reading the incoming crossing defense. It's like a basketball play. It's yeah. like playing help side defense basketball. He's looking at the quarterback mm-hmm. as he's also looking at the wide receiver here, going into his zone. Yeah, he's kind yeah. of like standing here and like sees the crossing defense receiver coming. And then Jared Goff throws it, and he like immediately turns in one hand. One hand. He, he one hands that ball like he's been there before. It was I was like, who is that? And, and immediately seeing it was Bryce Hall, one of our favorite cornerbacks yeah. in, in that class. High also, wide receiver. huh? He was a high school wide receiver, and also one of the guys that we talked to in the draft class that we really liked. And obviously had that injury at Virginia that was brutal. But man, that was one of the impressive plays of the week. And he also had a forced fumble. I think that was called back due to not forced fumble, fumble recovery that was called back due to penalty. But a good week for Bryce Hall. Yeah, he looked, I mean, they're playing a lot of zone against that Rams offense, sitting a lot, him sitting off the line of scrimmage. That was his bread and butter at Virginia. That's what he did. And like I said, the pick was awesome, but he also only allowed, you know, two catches all day long for 13 yards. So pretty, pretty solid game there for the rookie. But Jerry Sneed, man, has been a different animal, though, at rookie cornerback. He's the best rookie cornerback. Just is. He's been playing easily the best. And even what is that? How, how is he hitting the ground so quickly? I think it went to a good scheme for him and his strengths. Like they play, like you watch all his good reps this past weekend from press coverage in the slot where he can just get his hands on guys. And he didn't, he didn't do that this last year at Louisiana Tech because he was a safety. Yeah. He did that the year before. But I think that, I don't know if that cross train necessarily helped him, but we just didn't get to see that next step in his development because he was playing a different position. But man, when he's at the line of scrimmage and gets his hands on guys, he just locks them out. All right. Uh, number two, Cameron Dantzler came up with a big interception in coverage against Allen Robinson in the red zone. Uh, outside of that, didn't, I mean, he, he limited and he didn't allow a ton in coverage. And I think at the rookie cornerback position, it's not always the splash play. I mean, at, corner, at rookie corner this year, it's not always the splash plays and the force and completions in the picks. It's also not getting absolutely toasted. And you didn't see that on Cameron Dancer's tape this week against Chicago, which is a huge, massive step in the right direction for everyone at the position this season, it seems like. Well, I was going to say, so after that injury he had and that hit against Green Bay, he's looked like a different player. His first four weeks of the season, 81 yards allowed, 45 yards allowed, 91 yards, 99 yards. Uh, Then obviously gets injured against Green Bay, comes back. He hasn't allowed 45 yards in a single game since then. Only 30 yards this past week on five, four or five targets, had that pick in the end zone. I, I just, he, 
if we're talking about like encouraging signs, this is what you want to see from a rookie down the stretch. Definitely more encouraging than what we've seen from Jeff Gladney uh, for the Vikings there. But even Jeff Gladney has had some splash some, plays. But like I, I think Dantzler, we always say don't, you know, you got to see something to buy into a guy a year or two or else go address cornerback again because it's that bad in Minnesota or was that bad for a good portion of the year. We're seeing enough that I I could roll into year two with Cam Dantzler, some of my starters, and not worry at all about him. Number one, surprising no one. I think he had one of the highest – uh, single game grades at the quarterback position this week, regardless of when they came into the NFL. You Justin Herbert. I, I, I did call it. There was that Twitter but, graphic was, that was like, Justin Herbert's going to fucking own the Raiders or what you fucking say. Own the, I said light the Raiders on fire or something like that. You probably said light on fire because that's, you've already said that I think twice today, right? Maybe <laughs> it's I like did. It's like a go-to. Oh, sorry. It's a go-to. I'm just saying. Yes, we probably did say it. But either way, I think with Herbert, it, it, it was an impressive performance. But that Raiders defense is just ass. Yeah, you could have seen it coming. Yeah, but, I mean, I did see it coming. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, Trayvon Mullen, talking about a second-year player, just for a second, just to see how it feels, had an awful game in that game. There's so many pass interference penalties. Like, I think someone tweeted this out. I don't remember who it was, and I apologize for not giving credit. But I think it's exactly how I describe Trayvon Mullen. When it's good, it's really good. When it's bad, he's grabby. He's very he's very grabby uh, down the football field when he's losing, and I think when you're grabby, four penalties. Now. Yeah, that it was ugly. It was ugly. Some DPI, some defensive holdings, yeah. not a good look for him. And Justin Herbert knew it. He was coming after him, and even when he wasn't coming after him, he was going against you know Keyshawn Nixon and other you know cornerbacks there in Oakland or not in Oakland in Las Vegas. Oh. It was a tough game for that Raiders D. Yeah, it did crack me up though how dramatic his dive was to the game winning sneak, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was like <laughs> the most. Over the time, he was just like fully extended. I don't know. He looked like Superman there. It was pretty sweet. Flight. Huge win for him. And I know last last episode or a couple episodes ago, I was calling for Justin Jefferson being the offensive rookie of the year. Now, now the narrative Herbert, is taking Herbert over. Now, now I don't think that the va- there's any value on that Justin Jefferson pick. If if Justin Herbert laid an egg against Las Vegas, didn't win that football game, and Jefferson maybe picked up some more receiving yards in that uh, that loss to Chicago this past week, you could start to see the scales turn mm-hmm. or flip. But now, Justin Herbert with another W, I, I, I think it's his to lose now. Unfortunately, you may have lost some money there on Justin Jefferson if you did chase the value. Uh, all right, let's finish the podcast with this raise a glass segment. Uh, only a handful of games this weekend, but some good ones for sure. Two quarterbacks make the list to start. I mean, Kyle Trask and Mac Jones, two of the guys on the All-American team uh, in 2024 PFF. Uh, uh, two really, really good games. And what was an absolute shootout for Alabama? Yeah, uh, they just, like I said off the top, like these guys just play really good measured football at the quarterback position and it was just a fun game to watch in terms of like back and forth lighting up scoreboards Caltrask had seven big time throws in that game uh, he, his ball placement on some downfield throws is just completely different from the guy we saw last year and, and we kind of said it because in his first year as a starter at any level of football to not even start in high school and to look like he did in the SEC was just encouraging, but he just was very conservative last year. Like, you could see it. And it's like, can he break out of that shell and not be that guy this year? He has. And so I do think – I think someone's going to draft him in the first round. All right. Uh, another guy here that I think is interesting because before the season, I remember bringing him up to you in, like, a text or something. Like, hey, have you watched the Stanford guy who's, like, the size of a skyscraper and playing receiver for them? <laughs> Simi Fihoko? He is an interesting evaluation. He is a monster – at the receiver position, well, how tall is he? Like six foot four, six, six foot four, two twenty seven. He's listed at. Yeah, he's an absolute monster, and had, had a good game this past week for Stanford. Something. Four three. Yeah, he was that's on right. Open streaks list, and so yeah, this past week, two hundred thirty yards, twenty three targets, sixteen catches. They're just fucking pumping him the ball, but it's all like it was like screens and straight line stuff. He's not. 
he is not super dynamic outside of just sprinting with this full head of steam. But he had some dope plays. Like he truck stick to cornerback, and I think injured him by just because he is he it truly is you know lives up to the term freak. But he's not. He's also people, old, people, isn't he? He's a little bit of an older prospect. He went on a mission trip, I believe. Oh, did he? okay. Yeah. So he's not. People are going to say, oh, you know, take chances after DK Metcalf and Chase Claypool. Take chances on big, fast receivers. I, I'm not going to put Simi Fajoko in, in nearly the same breath as either of those two. It depends what the chance is, though. I mean, if the well, ch- like I, I'm, people are saying, oh, those guys drop to the second, but like that that wins in the NFL now. I think those guys are outliers. They're not necessarily outliers. It's not like a start of a trend where it's just, yeah, draft the big fast guy every year. I think he was part of the 2017 recruiting class, or the 2017 or the 2018. He was a true freshman in 2018 um, with Stanford. But Simi Fajoko, uh, the, the, on the freaks list by Bruce Feldman, the, the freakiest attribute is speed. But the dude's six foot four, 227, and apparently clocked a 439. That is pretty absurd. I could see, you know who I see falling in love with Simi Fajoko come combine? Fantasy Twitter. Oh, yeah. Let's slide it up. The Miles Boykin takes are coming back. Although, wait, no, his age thing, though, he was in the 2016 recruiting class. So his oh, 2016? Age, yeah, 2016. So, oh, so dominated ranks. Can be dominated long. ranks tanked. Oh, no. That's pretty much just write him up as a prospect at that point. <laughs> R.I.P. Should we pour one out? Quinn, can we just pour, can we get a little, uh, like, a beer sound just pouring this out for Simi Fihoko because he's too old? Might as well at this point. Might as well. All right. Jumping from Simi Fihoko coming off of a good game. Kyle Pitts, we kind of talked about him already. I mean, yeah. Pitts had a, just another monster game against Alabama. And then lastly here, Sean Robinson. Let's close the pod with Sean. This one's awesome. Now, I don't, he's not really a prospect, but he, this guy was a quarterback. Literally played quarterback this year at Missouri. They needed help defensively with COVID injuries. He played safety this past week. He earned a 92.3 defensive grade. He had a pick on a screen where he bre- beat a block broke it up the catch point, is laying on the ground, and it falls into his hands. It was awesome. Go watch it. Sean Robinson, Missouri, quarterback, switched to safety, had a, a pretty awesome game. Now, is he a prospect? No. <laughs> I would love to. See, I'd love for him to come back another year and play safety, though, because he's also very much not a good quarterback. He transferred to TCU in a, early in his career to Missouri this past year. Uh, that's not. He's not going to end up in the NFL if he stays there. But 6'2", 220, and he can move, so... Uh, hopefully Sean Robinson makes that switch full-time. That's going to do it for the Monday episode of 2 for 1 Drafts. Finishing on Sean Robinson, the former quarterback, turned safety for a weekend after a huge monster grade. I have some updates here. One, had some people reach, reach out, some listeners. When are you guys going to three episodes? When are you guys going to three episodes? You guys keep hinting at it. When are you guys going to three episodes a week? The week of January 4th, Mike and I are going to go three episodes. We are going to go do some deep dives on the position groups in the 2021 NFL draft, a really monstrous senior bowl preview. We do that every single year. Even if we're not going to mobile, a big senior bowl preview, probably bringing on some prospects, a lot more interviews in the off season. We talked to, we talked to, I think over 30 or 40 draft prospects in the previous off season. I'm trying to beat that number this year. Talk to some more guys and also mailbag episode on Fridays. I think we're going to do a mailbag episode on Fridays. Tweet that out on Fridays and get you guys um, in on Twitter some questions answered. I think questions are big in the offseason as well. Everyone wants to know who X team should take, how high should X player go. So opening it up to a mailbag episode on Fridays, the week of January 4th, in addition to more interviews, deep dives into position groups, senior bowl preview, all that stuff. Make sure you rate, subscribe, listen to, review, send in a postcard. I don't. I keep forgetting what you can do to podcast, Mike, but whatever you can do, and listen to them. You can listen to them. So listen to your podcast at the gym, in traffic, at home, 
in the shower. Do you listen to stuff in the shower? It'll turn on some stuff in the shower. Music, not music. Podcast. Oh, not podcast. Interesting. Yeah. Um, anyway, that just make sure you do all that stuff to our podcast and more. Until next time, Asa Gale, Mike Renner, two for one. Games. Hey.